episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Julia Chesky. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. This project is made possible by the Toe Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I am a graduate of that program, not a student. And if you don't know me, I have a long and crazy history covering and researching the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boys. Now, speaking of the Proud Boys, their trial is still going on, and I haven't really been able to pay attention to it because this job is like trying to keep up uh, on a treadmill that I can't quite keep up on. I make it every week, but it's like, ah, every week. So, ha, 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 ha. Now, this week, we had something very exciting happen, and that would be the State of the Union Address. I wanted to get this done yesterday, didn't quite make it, because I'm covering Tucker Carlson this week, and boy, his show is sometimes two clips, sometimes 12 clips, and uh, the night of the State of the Union Address, because I had two computers going, I was capturing Fox, I was capturing PBS, So I couldn't actually, and I'd already captured Tucker Carlson, and because I have two computers, one that's very old that really doesn't do anything but capture video at this point, I can't use anything, I can't, it's just so old, I can't really, won't update, I can't get it to do anything else. And then my laptop, which is where I do all my work on. So I couldn't go through the Tucker Carlson episode while I was capturing, so I just was like, well, I guess I'll just, you know... Uh, get that afterward. And so it was just, it was just, and then it was one of those episodes where like every other phrase was like, I got to clip that. I got to clip that. Oh man, I got to clip that. <laughs> so, <laughs> cause he was kind of outrageous. Anyway, um, before we get into this uh, special episode, I just want to remind everybody that at Decoding Fox News, I now have paid subscribers. If you'd like to become a paid subscriber, I'd really appreciate it because it helps keep this, uh, project going. Uh, My grant was extended, but only for six months. And I'm in negotiations with an organization who I will not mention uh, because it's still sort of nebulous. We'll figure it out. I'm excited about it, though. We'll see what happens. And then uh, also I have a Patreon if you'd like to support. Uh, I'm almost finished with the first installment that I'm going to have for my paid subscribers that is coming. And I'm sorry it's taken so long. It's just this is a tough gig. It is it is like juggling 18 million things at the same time. It is getting better, though. Now that I've done this for a year, I'm getting better at managing how to handle this thing. It's basically I just do a little bit for the newsletter every single day. And if that's making a transcript or if that's saying this is going in the podcast, this is going in the newsletter and pulling a transcript for that and putting that out and writing it out and putting it on the so uh, I'm just talking like a lunatic. I'm so tired. But here we go. Let's just get into it. There's no fancy headline. It's really boring, actually. It's just called, How Fox News Covered the State of the Union Address, with a comparison to the PBS NewsHour. So here we go. It's very simple. There's not much copy to this. It's all clips. But we just go, Fox News reacted about as expected after President Joe Biden gave the annual State of the Union Address. While President Biden seemed quite focused and energetic during the speech, Fox host claimed he was a, he was stumbling and confused. As Republican lawmakers booed and heckled him, Fox News personality brushed it off. Biden was even criticized for walking out of the chamber too slowly. 
The network's coverage of the event was so biased, they didn't even bother to say much of anything after the Republican rebuttal delivered by Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Her speech could be reduced to a few anecdotes about herself and her family, mixed in with cultural war attacks on the LGBTQ community with a revisionist history of school segregation in Arkansas. Oh, it was lovely. I'm being very sarcastic at that. I, I people were, mm, I found her speech to be very, uh, I really hated it, but uh, we'll get into that when we play the K-part. The K-part clip is kind of the clip of this entire podcast. It it will make your night. If you didn't see it on Twitter, it will make your week. It'll make your month. K-part just, and that is Jonathan K-part of the Washington Post, just nailed it and put a bow on it and stamped it and put glitter on it and said, here you go. It was just, he just, ah, it was such a great, you'll, you'll hear it. I, I don't want to give it away. It's the very end. It'll, it'll be worth the wait. So let's just get into it. The Fox uh, had set 37 minutes of commentary. No commentary after the Republican response. For the Fox News panel, we had Martha McCallum of Fox News, Brett Baer of Fox News, Dana Perino, Fox News, Harold Ford Jr., Fox News, Jackie Henrich, uh, the White House correspondent for Fox News, Ashi Hasni, congressional correspondent of Fox News, Britt Hume, Fox News, and Larry Kudlow, former director for the National Economic Council of the Trump administration, also of Fox News. Larry Kudlow is sort of accidentally funny because he reads things very like, oh, I can't believe I have to read this. Well, here we go. And Brit Hume has a similar energy. So the overall tone of the commentary was dominated by Larry Kudlow and Brit Hume, two older white men who reminded me of a much grumpier version of Statler and Waldorf, the two senior-aged Muppet critics featured in countless Muppet-themed movies and television shows. If you don't know this reference, it's two old white men who sit up in a little, like, little balcony seat, sort of, next to a theater, and they're like, oh, this is terrible. I hate it, too. Arr! That's my impression of Statler and Waldorf. Just grumpy old men complaining. Which, when you think about it, is probably most of Fox's audience. So that that reads, you know, just get grumpy old men. I hate everything. Arr! There you go. That's half of Fox News. So, um... This for I grouped everything by subject rather than chronological order as they tended to come back to the same themes throughout the broadcast. This first section is simply called Border Crime China, and it's Martha McAllen starts us off. Indeed it is, and it comes as the president deals with a huge list of major challenges. The fallout from the Chinese spycraft, revelations over classified documents, a porous southern border, inflation and crime. No mention of the balloon, no mention of the 10 balloons that we now know about over the recent years, and no sort of, um, certainly no axis of evil kind of moment that we heard from George Bush back in 2002 in terms of addressing head on the way that he views the number one foreign policy national security threat to the country in a comprehensive way. It was very, uh, very, very brief. I found it interesting that she brought up George W. Bush because of all of our past Republican presidents, and you're talking about foreign policy, why on earth would you pick George W. Bush? 
probably notoriously known for disastrous foreign policy. Even Republicans, when he was in office, were like, I don't know about this guy. He started two wars. We're not happy about him. And he lied about the the uh, second war. Ugh. Yeah. I, you know, Reagan, he, it's right there. It was right there. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying, if I was a Republican, I, Reagan is right there. You'd think, you know, tear down this wall. Anyway, here we go. In terms of the dealing. In I mean, the things that Harold just mentioned, border, crime, China. I mean, those are those are huge issues that confront this presidency. And it feels like we heard a lot about things that are, you know, would be nice, I guess, but but that don't address the, the deep concerns that a lot of people in the country have about the future. I, I don't doubt that Martha McCallum is correct and that many Americans do worry about border, crime, China, but she's also just described, you know, most of Fox's uh, programming, border, crime, China. And then throw in some more hysteria in general, and there you go. That's about 50% of what they push every single week. This next clip is on spending. It starts with McCallum again, but you're going to hear Kudlow and uh, grumpy old man number one in this section as well. He ended with a familiar refrain talking about America, that there's nothing that we can't do if we put our mind to it. And yet it seems that the path to achieving that is an enormous amount of, of spending. And this comes on top of $5 trillion of spending during COVID. But it seems like the path to making sure that we succeed as a nation includes a laundry list of spending, medical leave, paid family leave, nursing home affordability, teacher raises, Pell grants. Uh, he went on and on. The, the answer to police violence, as he put it, uh, is more training, housing, jobs. So there's a, there's a lot of spending that he outlines in this plan. So now we hear from Larry Kudlow, who gets even more worked up about this. And I also want to add that she's basically describing a lot of programs that would be incredibly popular with Democrat voters. This was an exhausted list with no price tag of the spending and mandates. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's like 25 pages worth. So they're doubling up or tripling up on what I would call big government socialism. I don't think the country wants more and more spending. And he never mentioned, never mentioned the possibility of a compromise with Kevin McCarthy, the Republican speaker, with respect to the, he said, we're going to pass the debt ceiling. We always do it. We're going to do it. No one's going to touch the big entitlements. And that's all he said. He had nothing to offer on that front, which I think is going to be a big problem. Just want to point out that it's hilarious to call Joe Biden, uh, say that he's promoting socialism or that he, he might be a socialist, but that's what they do on Fox. And to the rest of the world, we're like, he's a moderate, but okay. Now we have grumpy man number two, and that's Brit Hume. In a, in a Democratic speech like the Democratic president speaks like this, there's always room for more school and more teachers and higher teacher pay. So that that would be the only thing I would say that you, you began win? to cover well, it. Yeah, I mean, look at this. There's always room for this left-wing stuff. we got to tax the rich. They don't pay their fair share, okay? We just had numbers out. The top 1% of taxpayers paying 42% of all the taxes in this country. The bottom 50% pay 2.5%. Now so what Kudlow uh, didn't mention, 
And I looked this up and I've got uh, some stats that are from third quarter 2022. Is that according to the source I found, 50% of the country only has about 3.3% of the wealth. Whereas the top 10% roughly own 68% of the wealth. Which might explain why the bulk of our tax revenue comes from that tiny, tiny top percent because there, it, our economy is so top heavy. You've just got a handful of people who own so, so much. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it works. If you increase taxes on the, the masses, you're actually going to make less money and you're just going to hurt the economy because then all these people won't be able to spend. So before I go down a rabbit hole about uh, Kinsey and economics, <laughs> um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about the next category, which is bumbling Biden and bad polling. And this is sort of two clips stuck together. Uh, I just thought this one, this was my favorite clip of the Fox because I just, the Fox commentary, because I just wondered what speech he saw because I didn't see this at all. And I watched the whole thing twice. (laughs) And whether he got through the speech well, and it seemed to me that it was an awful lot of stumbling and slurring and words left out and so on. So the question becomes this. Does someone sitting at home worried about the future of our country, perhaps suffering from inflation and the other maladies, worried about crime, worried about the border, look at this man delivering this speech tonight and say, I have confidence to give him four more years. He's the man who has led our nation so well. He's fully in command. Or they look at him and have doubts, doubts that they may already harbor based on Afghanistan and certain other things. I have, a, I, have my, I have considerable doubt as to whether this was a, a confidence-inspiring speech tonight. That was Britt Hume. It is, it's a little weird with um, Kudlow. They have very different voices, but because they're so grumpy and they're rawr, 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 they kind of blur. It took me a minute when I was going through the audio to be like, who is this again? Who is this again? Ah, Brett Hume, Brett Hume. And yeah, when I say Kudlow is kind of an accident, accidentally funny, it's because his voice and his mannerisms, I'm always like, is he drunk? I, he can't be drunk, but he kind of appears drunk. Kind of, He's kind of got the same quality people say about uh, Judge Janine, which Judge Janine will sometimes say she doesn't drink, and then sometimes she jokes about drinking. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm not accusing this man of being drunk on camera, but Kudlow sometimes comes across as very like, well... Here's the thing. And I'm like, what is going on? Anyway, it's just a bit of a tangent. Just a bit of a tangent. This is Brett Baer talking about polls. Uh, you know, we, we talked about polls right before the midterms, and they didn't turn out how Republicans thought they were going to, with Democrats outperforming where they, where they were. And that has emboldened this president and this White House. Look. Brett Baer would be correct. Um, yeah, none of what happened in the midterms should have happened. That should not have happened. It should have been a red wave. It should have been a complete slaughter. It should have been like, you know, at least 20, 30 seats gained in the House. And that didn't happen. And so as a result, it's like, well, okay, can you blame Biden? I actually thought, now Biden is known for gaffes. Biden is known for saying stuff that's very awkward. Biden has never been a great orator. It's just not his strength. He's not Barack Obama. But I think he did a good job. Consider, I mean, I, he was energetic. He was focused. He didn't have gaffes. He handled the heckling very, very well, I thought, incredibly well. I used to do comedy, and he handled that heckling brilliantly. Trust me. Trust me. It's not easy. Um, so this next section is kind of about the heckling, which is the Medicare 
Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Freak Out. Um, and this is a collection of clips as well. It starts with Brett Baer. Here we go. When he accused Republicans, though, of wanting to sunset Medicare and Social Security in the debt ceiling debate, that chamber looked and sounded more like the House of Commons in the UK, with many members piping up. Uh, it did turn out into a bipartisan moment when both parties stood for an ovation to not touch Medicare or Social Security. Both parties clearly will have to agree together to make any long-term changes to either program. Thank you very much, Aisha. You see Kevin McCarthy banging down the gavel, ending this session. Uh, there were times when he sort of was looking over at some of his um, more kind of raucous members and kind of giving them the um, little bit of, a, right. of the eyeball, I think. The parent uh, driving the car. Little, exactly. I'm going to turn this car around. <laughs> you don't watch it. Yeah, he did. That exactly. Uh, so, of course, what they're talking about is that moment when Biden said something about Republicans uh, wanting to basically cut or alter Social Security and other entitlements, and then they booed him very raucously, and then he pivoted brilliantly, love him or hate him, this was a brilliant move, into, well, then, are you going to agree not to touch those programs? And they, in the moment, were like, yeah. And it was amazing to watch. And I also want to comment that with McCarthy, they're like joking around like he's, you know, scolding these out of control school children. That's what it may have looked like to a Fox, you know, host who wants to make this positive. And I've seen other people talk about this, but to uh, someone who's not a Fox person who, uh, you know, what I saw was Kevin McCarthy not having any control over those people. And it did not look good for him. It did not look cute or funny. I just went, oh my, I was, and then interestingly enough, and I don't have this clip for this because it's, it'll be in the weekly podcast, but uh, Fox and Friends had a pollster on and they were talking about, they showed, they have like an instrument that the people hold that they say if they like or dislike something as they're watching it. And they had independents, Republicans, and Democrats. And during, they polled them about, well, what did you think of the outburst when people would yell and scream over and, you know, you're, you're a liar, it's because of you and this and that. And it polled incredibly negatively among independents. So that is not good. That is not good. It does not bear well for the Republican Party if they keep this up. And so far, this Congress has been absolutely bonkers. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I did not think that boded well at all, and I didn't think it was cute or funny. Now, this last section is just bizarro, and that's why I included it, because I thought it was funny. But this is, honest to God, this is what they said on camera. And I just, my slack jawed went, oh, okay then, go for that. I don't think that's happening. Here you go. Traditionally, the network covering the Super Bowl gets an interview with the President of the United this States. Uh, we have formally asked for that interview, but we have not received an answer yet whether they are going to officially do it or not. We're running out of days. Harold Ford, um, what about that? He should accept the invitation. It's a tradition that should be continued. But that. Yeah, he should absolutely not accept that uh, invitation because Fox News is not a legitimate news source and shouldn't be treated as such. And I'm telling you right now on Fox Nation, there is not one, not two, but three full length kind of crazy explorations of Hunter Biden. 
like it's like who is Hunter Biden part one, part two and part three. And those aren't just an hour long. No, these are broken down into episodes. This just goes on and on and on. They have a thing called like the Biden confidential or something that is supposedly like proof, but not really proof of all these alleged crimes, but they don't actually have any proof. And it's just a bunch of talking heads of people who don't actually know Hunter Biden going, well, I know because I saw the laptop. Okay, that's one person. But they just, you know, that's why on earth would Joe Biden go on a Fox interview? Don't do it. Just don't. I No, shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Go anywhere else. Don't go on Fox because they're just going to scream at you. Even if you get Brett Baer, even if you get Martha McCallum, like the quote unquote normal anchors the actual legit journalist on the on the network, it's not going to go well. Don't do it. Oh, because even if he, like, sneezed, they'll play that on a loop. Look, he sneezed. He's, he's an old man. He sneezed. Did you see how he sneezed and then he wiped his nose like an old man? Like an old senile man? Okay, I'm getting too worked up. I'm delirious. It's very late at night. This always takes longer than I think it's going to take. And today was a doozy because, again, Tucker freaking Carlson. Next up. We have PBS now. PBS, of course, was the complete opposite of Fox in every way. And, oh, ooh, before we get to PBS, I forgot my graph. Words used during the State of the Union commentary on Fox. Okay, this was interesting. Republican made it 35 times. Biden, only 25 times. Democrat, 15. Border, 12, spending 11, inflation 8, Trump only 7, Social Security 7, Medicare 6, jobs 5, debt 5, China 4, McCarthy, believe it or not, I triple checked this one, twice, crime twice, abortion twice, socialism, Kamala, and CRT only once each. Wow, like Kamala only once, but Kamala only once. Kind of hard to believe because they spent a lot of time on her today. Just like, Kamala's crazy, basically. That was it. So PBS NewsHour had longer coverage, so I didn't compare the two because that would be unfair. And they had the panel is Jeff Bennett of PBS NewsHour, Amna Navaz of PBS NewsHour, Lisa Desjardins, Laura Ballone-Lopez, also PBS, Amy Walter, editor-in-chief of the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter, David Brooks, columnist at the New York Times, Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at the Washington Post, and briefly, she wasn't on the panel, but they did speak to her uh, for an extended period of time, Representative Mikey Sherrill, a congresswoman from New Jersey. She is a Democrat. So, of course, PBS was far more positive about the speech, and you'll hear that in the first clip. This is Jonathan Capehart. Uh, Well, what we saw was a president on fire. Uh, a president who has a strong record to um, tout, lots of accomplishments, things that have been passed that he can talk about, numbers, facts and figures that he can already talk about, projecting into the future of more things to come that haven't been implemented yet. You brought up the thing that stood out to me, let's finish the job. And then, you know, he, he brought the tone that I was looking for, and he ended his speech in the way he has he ends basically all of his big speeches. And that is when he gets to the point where he says, we are the United States of America. He almost growls it 
in a very forceful, passionate way to remind us in word and in tone that this is a nation that when we put it, put our minds to it, we can get a lot of things done. And so by repeating that line at the end of every speech, he's trying to move us to a place. Now, obviously, Jonathan uh, Capehart really loved this speech. That's very obvious. And generally, the entire tone of the whole panel was positive towards the speech, because I think it was actually a very good speech for for Biden, especially because he's not known for this. And he was on point. He was focused. He was clear. He did have a couple little gaffes, but who doesn't? So next up is David Brooks, who I found this kind of kind of like a backhanded compliment because he's basically calling the president a mayor. But I get what he was trying to say. And this is true of Joe Biden and because he tries to kind of cultivate this situation a little bit. 62 percent who think he hasn't done much that Jeff mentioned. Uh, the, the administration believes that they can sort of fix that. Uh, a lot of the infrastructure spending that was passed last year, those projects are actually going to happen this coming year. And so expect to see Joe Biden. If somebody's filling a pothole in front of your street, Joe Biden will be there. He'll be, be there. Cutting the Shoveling ribbon, in. Putting up the sign, Joe Biden did this for you. <laughs> Uh, and so he, it, when he talks about what the campaign is going to be, he sounds like he's running for mayor. This is kind of a backhanded compliment. He's like saying something positive, but uh, not completely. Next up is uh, just Amy Walter, very brief, just mentioning the actual incident that I was talking about before with the Medicare uh, Social Security cuts. I don't think we've ever seen a president and Congress negotiate in real time during a State of the Union about the debt ceiling. That's a, definitely a brand new thing we've never that seen. Was an- it actually was a, a glorious move. Even if you didn't like him, you'd have to admit that was kind of masterful because they were out of control and screaming and yelling and booing. And then he realized, wait a second, I've got this. Instead of crumbling, he just, his confidence actually surged and he picked it up and he ran with it. And I was like, wow, Biden, damn. So then next up, we have Lisa Desjardins and her comment is about the raucousness of the Republicans, the obnoxiousness. Here you go. So I just listened to the clip. I don't think it's clear enough. Lisa Desjardins was speaking into some type of audio equipment. It sounded like a walkie-talkie, and she was a little difficult to hear, so I'm just going to read what she said. Um, She said this. I think the section where he was talking about a lot of statistics, a lot of numbers, bragging about his accomplishments— That's when we saw the crowd here listening, but not as emotional. As it got into sections about the border, in particular about China, then we saw the eruptions from the Republican side. And I have to say, I'm still digesting. I don't know if I witnessed something like the House of the British Parliament or something like a bar room. There was a real lack of restraint. Now we move on to Governor... Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas, and she gave the rebuttal response or the Republican response. And the panel at PBS pointed out that she didn't talk about any economic policies. It was all culture war type of rhetoric. And she did share some personal stories, but it was about half of it was just saying things that would just enrage certain people, upset a lot of people. And Jonathan Capehart has an absolutely gorgeous response to this because I I can't see inside his head. I don't know what was going on, but I know that he's a gay black man. And both of those issues 
come up in what Sarah Huckabee was talking about because she mentioned, you know, she, she had this kind of tossed away comment about segregation in Arkansas, just totally whitewashing what had actually happened. And I'll let Capehart speak because he just does this so brilliantly. But he just, I was along this ride with him. I was as angry as he was, but he just put it perfectly because, again, I'll just let him speak. This speech, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to levitate from my chair mm. because there were so many. She leaned so hard into the culture wars that she just slid right into ignorance. And for her to say, to revel in the fact that she is an, a, an alum of Little Rock Central High School and lauding the Little Rock Nine and their stature, they're memorialized when the Republicans, particularly in Florida, but I guess now in Arkansas, are going to make it illegal for students to learn about why the Little Rock Nine are significant and are in bronze in Little Rock. Mm -hmm. This speech was entirely offensive. When she talks about, you know, Republicans are there for freedom and Americans, which Americans? And what freedoms? What about the trans kids whose targets, they've got targets on their backs? Or kids, LGBTQ kids in schools? Or black kids in schools who can't learn their history because government is making it illegal? I, wonderful. She's the youngest governor in, the, in, in Arkansas. And she's drawing these contrasts with an 80-year-old president. But thank goodness we have an 80-year-old president who just gave a speech to the nation, the entire nation, about what he wants to do for them. There was that moment when the president said, look, I don't, it, you know, you guys take, you, you voted against the infrastructure bill, but then you show up and take credit for, the, for the, the projects and the jobs that come. And I look forward to you guys doing it again. She doesn't have that message. The message that she just, she just gave to the nation and on behalf of the Republican Party just proves to me that the Republican Party is lost not lost, it's gone. And if they're going to keep digging themselves into these culture war issues, great. More power to them. It's great for the, for the Republican primary, uh, the Republican base, I guess. But the country in the last midterm election said that we don't like that. that and what made Capehart's response even more remarkable is that he was speaking from his heart. There was no speech written he had some notes, but he didn't look down on them. He just, it was like somebody just set a fire in him and it blazed and he was angry and he let it out. And I, it was the passion. It just, it was everything. I was there right there with him because I was angry too. And especially watching as much Fox News as I watch, I see the hatred towards uh, trans people. I see the hatred towards drag queens, which is just infuriating. I have a trans cousin. I have friends who have trans children. I have other friends who are trans. I have every type. You name the spectrum of LGBTQ, and I know someone who's on that spectrum. And I, you know, they're not hurting anybody. They just want to live their lives. Leave them alone. And of course, segregation in Little Rock, what she talked about in her speech a little bit and kind of glazed right over is in order to have those children go to a white school, those black children go to a white school, they had to bring in the National Guard. So it wasn't just, oh, you know, and then we had segregation, and now we have bronze statues for these children. No, 
It was people screaming at them as they there's pictures of little kids trying to go to school, little black kids, beautifully dressed, you know, gorgeous, beautiful children trying to look as sharp as possible, walking into that school with these monstrous people behind them screaming at them. That was the reality. So, you know, I know she may have meant well, but Huckabee, Sanders, what are you thinking the way you wrote that? So I I was right there with him, and I was just as angry. And so that's why I really, I mean, I had to save it for last because it was at the very end, but it was just such a great clip. It's amazing, amazing. So that is it for the podcast. There's not much more to cover. I do want to say, though, on the five, they did say how that was like a glorious speech, and they raved about it today, which I was like, I don't even know what's going on. You thought that was a great speech? Okay, great. And, uh, yeah, so I will have the regular podcast coming up on Monday that we'll be covering this week. And it, because it's Tucker, Lord knows how long that's going to be and what I'm going to pull for that. And uh, Odin is now on my lap, which is a little awkward. And I apologize for any weird audio noise that's been happening for this episode. I'm not sure what's going on. I think it's the placement of the mic. And I'm just trying not to touch anything because I think that's what's causing it. And I can't cut it completely out because sometimes it's happening when I'm talking. My apologies. It's a very low-budget podcast. I'm doing my best over here. I, If this collaboration works out, I will have some type of producer. I will have some type of help, which would be tremendous. We'll see what happens. But if you'd like to support this micro-budget um, endeavor, you can go to my Patreon for Decoding Fox News. You can become a paid subscriber. There's also a little dollar sign next to my name on Twitter. You can donate a one-time donation there if you'd like. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. Uh, Odin and Thor also send their love. The mascots for the podcast, the cats. And I will see you at the next podcast. Odin is literally on my lap right now. So he's saying goodbye and we'll see you at the next one. Thanks so much.